All right, so we're recording. Hey, uh, Dan, uh, today we've got a special guest. We've, we're kind of, uh, we've been doing this where we've been interviewing people from within LBC. Um, today, we're gonna talk to some missionaries down in Ecuador to get a picture of seeking God in the whirlwind uh, and the pandemic. And, and these are boots on the ground, as it were, for the kingdom of God. <laughs> so um, as we were thinking about this and we've been talking about this following news stories, I had seen that the pandemic had uh, had reached Ecuador, uh, had created some real problems in Ecuador. And right away, I thought about some friends of mine who are missionaries down there uh, and wanted to get their perspective. And so I thought that's one way we could lead today. Uh, so I want to introduce uh, Pete and Jen Emery, and um, they, I'm going to let them at this point tell us who they work for, what they do down there, uh, and then we'll get into some questions with them on just how the pandemic is um, affecting Ecuador, how it's affecting their ministry down there. Uh, and then hopefully we can talk a bit about just that negotiation, right? Uh, particularly when you're someone from uh, the United States and you now live in the majority world and, and how do Christians in the majority world negotiate the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. So uh, Pete and Jen, thanks for doing this for us. Thanks for hanging yeah, thank out. Thank you with very us. much. Yeah. Um, so please tell us, tell us a little about what you did, what you do down there, uh, stuff like that. Okay. Um, so, my name is Pete. This is my wife, Jen. Um, I was born and raised in Ecuador. My parents were missionaries. Uh, my grandparents were missionaries in Ecuador. Wow. So we're working on the third generation wow. of missionaries in Ecuador. So, um, um, but it wasn't until later in life that I got called down. Um, I was, what, how old was I? About 30? No, 40 something. 40 something before yeah. we actually made it down here to Ecuador. But anyhow, um, we came down. Um, we're working with a ministry called Extreme Response. Um, Extreme Response is a Christian-based humanitarian aid organization, and um, they work with people in extreme need. And it started out 20 years ago, well, almost 23 years ago now, at the city dump in Quito. Um, one of my missionary co-worker, my father, um, used to lead teams and everything. Anyhow, make a long story short, he saw this garbage dump. It moved his heart. He couldn't believe that these people were living right in the garbage. Um, hundreds of people living right on top of the trash. Now, what do you, I'm, I'm sorry, Pete, tell, what do you mean by living in the trash? Um, they, they had a landfill and they'd bring a truck in, they'd dump the garbage right out onto the ground, right into this ravine. And all these people had set up shop all around the edge of the garbage. So mm -hmm. you're standing on a couple hundred feet of garbage as they're filling up this ravine and they lived right in it, children, wow adults old people they had like makeshift homes they would take like cinder blocks or like cardboard and build little like little shacks yeah and they all lived there no running water no um people babies you'd see and then what would happen was a truck would come a garbage truck would come from the city dump the garbage right out on the ground they would come and dig through it and try to find whatever they could out of it their food their clothing everything they got was out of the garbage and then the bulldozer would push it over the edge and there were a couple hundred people. And when Jerry went there, there was already probably two generations of people that had already lived there. So a lot of the families that we work with were born and raised in the garbage dump. Wow. Pete, did people move there for access to the garbage dump for resources? Yep. Yeah. Okay. These are people that, um, uneducated people some of the people were criminals some of these people something happened in their lives where they found this was their only way of making a living um some were subsistence farmers that would come from the country and came down to the city th seeking a better life and it didn't work out and they found out like people didn't like um people picking from the garbage on the street like i used when i was a kid i would go out and hand my garbage to a person and they would dig through it and pick out whatever they wanted and my leftover sandwich, a bottle, some cardboard, whatever they could sell. And then they'd go on their way. So people didn't like that. So they, they would kick them off their street. And then, um, so then they would hear about this. Oh, well, nobody bothers you at the garbage dump, you know, go out there and you can do whatever you want. So that's how this community started. And it was this isolated community of people that lived right in the garbage. And like I said, today we're working with the third, some even fourth generation of people that were born and raised in the garbage zone. Wow. 
That's amazing. So, so in, it, it, what does ministry look like in that regard? Is it, um, I mean, it's obviously need and food and those sorts of things. How, how do you, how do you, how do you interact with them? How do you minister to them? Well, way we started it and way Jerry started it, our founder was he started working with the children. These people were very closed and reserved, wounded people. They, went, they didn't want to really have anything to do with you unless you had something to give them, something mm. physical. Do you have some food? Do you have some clothing? If not, I don't want anything to do with you. Mm. Um, so we started working with the kids and going and playing games with them. Um, teaching the Bible lessons, bringing food, bringing clothing, different things like that. And then um, as the kids started opening up, then the parents were always hovering off in the distance, mom or dad. Uh, I think a big misconception is that poor people don't care about their kids. Mm. These people care about their kids. It's not that they don't want to, not, they're in survival mode. These people are just trying to survive. Right. And so they... Um, once we broke the kind of the ice with the kids and the mothers started opening up, we, we started first with, uh, uh, the biggest need we saw was we need to get these babies out of the garbage. So we started yeah. a daycare center and we take care of their babies, let them go recycle and give them a bath, feed them, you know, and that kind of stuff. Then that grew into an after school program. When, once these kids started growing, um, getting the kids to go to school, um, the best way to, break generational poverty is through education hmm. <laughs> you give it is okay. choices you know you give kids choices so helping them with their physical needs then started to slowly open up and build trust and relationship we got to know them we got to you know they knew who we were and um then we could start speaking about christ to them hmm. and then we could start working on their spiritual problems and their need for god and um and him, him coming in and helping your life. So it's almost like we had to live our faith first before they would even start to believe us or listen to us. Uh, Pete and, and Jen, Mark said something the other day when we were chatting about your story and, and, and how, you, how you minister. And the idea that, you know, when we're up here, we're in, in, in the first world, we're always thinking people have a poor view of God because they've got everything taken care of. They've got all their technology and their money. And, they, and there's a sort of go around conception of the poor have got a better, a better shot at that. They have a better understanding of God is, you know, but what's the, what's the view there? I mean, there's, there's anger with God, frustration, not a belief. What, what do you, what obstacles are you, are you overcoming in that, in that type of ministry? Um, there, I think the biggest obstacle is woundedness. Mm. Um, these people come from unbelievably difficult backgrounds. I mean, like I said, a lot of them are criminals. A lot of these people, um, are in survival mode. So physical, sexual abuse, um, you know, the struggle to live day to day are, are 100%. You know, a lot of substance abuse, a lot of drug and alcohol problems, even though you would think they don't have money for anything. Right. They're, they're trying to find a release. You know, they're trying to get, man, this is painful. This stinks. This is really, because their self-esteem is like animals live better than we do. Mm-hmm. And um, so their self-esteem is rock bottom. So any, anything that can bring relief to them is a problem. So alcohol. I, I did a Bible study. Um, I was doing a Bible study before this whole quarantine started. And it was a, a Nancy Lee DeMoss book um, called Lies Women Believe. So I was going through with my ladies all the different lies. And it was amazing to me that I think the biggest one was I have no value. Um, and they are really, really stuck there that they don't feel like they're worth it. They feel like they have nothing to offer anybody. Um, you know, and I think when you're in that place, it's hard to believe there's a good God when you feel like you have no value. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a big one. And like Pete was saying, um, this culture is, is very different. There's not a whole lot of empowered women in this culture. Mm. It's very much, um, they're secondary to men and their their toys or they're just or their maids or that you know what i mean there's a use for them but they're not valued as a woman um so i think that's a big thing too because again if those things aren't in the right place and that's what i was teaching them um if your belief about god is not in the right place everything else is going to trickle down and it's going to be incorrect right. and um and that's that's the problem a lot of them feel abandoned a lot of them feel um, that they're just, um, a lot of them have a very Catholic background. So, um, it's, it's like, 
they, they know what to say. They might know some of the, I don't like what, you know, what they say in masses and stuff like that. Maybe some of them have gone to mass when they were younger. Um, but that's it. There's not a whole lot of relational. They don't know a relational God. They just mm -hmm. know a God up there that obviously doesn't like them because they're, they're working and, and living like they do. So it's not, it's not atheism in one sense. They're not, they're... Um, not really. No. no, a lot of them, I think, believe there's a God. Um, a lot of them, like anybody, they haven't really sat down to, to think about it. Yeah. They're reacting. They're living out their gone. lives. Yeah. You know, I find that at all different social levels, I've just never stopped and thought about God and me and what that means and yeah. Who, yeah. He, who he is to me and all that. So it's, I think most of them are kind, some kind of like agnostic that thinks, well, God's up there and I'm down here. He does this thing. I'm Functionally here. agnostic. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember one conversation with one. I was like, man, why, why do you guys like glass over when I talk about God and Jesus and those kind of things? Because it was awesome. They just kind of, well, I'm just here for the food. <laughs> the obligatory, you know, I gotta listen to this guy for a little while, and then just give me my food, and I'll go. I'm sure if we got uh, a uh, a transcript from the audience when Jesus was feeding people, you would have heard the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this guy's pretty cool. I like to see his work, but I'm just here for the food. Yeah, just yeah, give it to me. Yeah. Save the salvation. I'm just here for the fish. Yeah. So I had this short conversation with this guy, and he's like, "Yeah, I hear about this God and." And uh, this Jesus guy you're talking about, I have no idea who he is and what he's talked about. And I really, really came down to just that. He had never taken the time to think about it. Hmm. I think that's a great point. That's a great point. I think um, you, when I grew up in, when I was growing up in Philly in, in certain neighborhoods, it was like you went to work, you did your thing and you know, if you were Catholic, you, like Jen kind of said, you kind of like, you did your Catholic thing, you know, you, but you didn't really think about it. You just kind of did it. It was just kind of like, well, of course I'm Catholic. I'm Italian. You know what I mean? It was just, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was just kind of part of what you did. It was like, you know, you watch the Eagles on Sunday, you go to mass before that, you know, it was, it was just one. And so I think you're right. I think we, a lot of people don't examine it. And I think one of the questions is, do, do people even who grew up in the church, do we really examine what it means or do we sometimes, you know, that's part of that negotiation, I think, uh, Dan, you know, do we really think about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian, or if you've been raised in it, you can almost just take it for granted and yeah, it's the, just and like a sweatshirt you wear. Right. But that, but see here, and here's what I'm interested in, um, in, the, in the work you guys do is that we, there's a, that's a, f a first world problem in one sense, because you have everything you need. So you don't really have to, right? I mean, we've got, yeah. we've got Walmart, so we don't really need God a whole lot, um, yeah. maybe from time to time, but that you're, you're working in a very different situation. And yet God is just as unneeded in a sense there. Um, yeah. It, it, what I found is you have people trapped in their poverty by their circumstances, whatever it is, their lack of education, their lack of opportunity, whatever their circumstances cause, whether it's poor nations, some people in Africa, there is no work. Not that they're lazy, there isn't, there's just nothing they can do. Right. You know, those kind of things. And then you have people that are trapped in your affluence. And I was that guy. I was the guy that was trapped in my affluence. And I thought, man, I just need the bigger car, the better house, the better this. If I have all these things, that'll solve my problems. And that'll solve what I need. And I found out, you know, eventually that's an empty hole. Mm. You know, they both need God in mm. their own mm. way. They need Christ. Christ is the answer to their problem. Mm. And it's, and it may not change their situation. That's, that's something that was that's really key. hard. That was hard for me to understand. My, I came down here. I was like, man, I'm going to get these people out of this garbage dump. This is horrible. Um, we need to change this. And what I learned was that, no, God doesn't always take us out of our situation. I, I could not get some of these people out of the garbage time as much as I want and I try. It's impossible. Um, they have no education. They, you know, they're 50 years old, 60 years old. How are you going to change all these things and get them to a place where they can hold a job and, and get, get a thing? That, that wasn't possible. It was very frustrating for me. But then when I realized, um, if they have Christ, they don't need to get that. Christ will save them. It may, it may be on this earth and it may be not, but he always promises that he will carry us through our situation. Now talk about that. That's, that's really profound. Um, 
because I think that's a that's a if say we say a poor negotiation mark the way we've been using that term is that you know we'll rely on God because we know that he can fix the situation and there's lots of Christian music that sings to that regard and I think a lot of yes we feel that automatically that that's what this is about and what you're saying is we need to recraft our relationship with Jesus so that it's not dependent on that right I mean that, that what the hope he brings is not may not at all be connected with what changes in our lives yeah yeah no i was gonna say it's not tied to our circumstances and that's what we're trying to even like teach them you know what i mean is to i mean the bible tells us to be joyful in our circumstances but um you know so many of them are like that's what they look at is and so many of us too (laughs) i mean I, i feel like i'm very much on depending on what day it is you know i can be totally taken out if i had a certain circumstance and um i would lose I would just get super distracted and get focused on what was me. This is my circumstance. Oh my gosh. But trying to get them to live above their circumstances and really um, try to see um, that, that the relationship with God and the enjoyment of God is more than giving, giving them stuff. I mean, we, we talked to, when we were talking to Mark a little bit last week, I said, I got really pulled into just giving them stuff the first couple of years that we were here because it was easy. One, we had a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We always have teams come down and bring us down stuff. So it's like, Oh, here, Oh, here, Oh, here. <laughs> But then we're, we're, then we're Santa Claus. Um, and then that's what they look at us as. We're the, you know, the rich gringos and they, you know, can hit us up for whatever. Um, I can't even tell you how many people come up to me every like Thursday at the Bible study I was trying to do, how many women would pull me to the side and be like, um, my brother's nephew's nieces, you know, cousin got in a motorcycle accident. He needs a hundred dollars for the hospital. <laughs> And I'm like, I, you know, I'm sorry. Like, this is what you have to pray about. And you have yeah, to, wow. I don't have that money on me now. And I don't, like, I can't, we, that's not what we are. That's not. And so we had to kind of try to break that idea and that like, kind of like a stereotype. And it is a big stereotype down here that if you're a gringo, you have money, you're well-educated. And um, especially if you're a missionary, you want to give it all away. <laughs> if you're it's not a cargo religion, right? Is that the cargo religion the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a concept, I think, I forget where I heard it, but it was like, in China, they found the same thing, is they're called rice Christians. Mm-hmm. I'll believe anything you want for that cup of rice. You want me to get yeah. saved? Okay, I'll get saved a hundred times. Then they find out that it had no depth to it. It had no, you know, there was no change in life, no, any of those things. What I think happens too is we, we rely on what's easy. And, um, and so, yeah, I can give you something. I can give you some money. I can help you with this. I can help you with that. Um, but at the end of the day, what's it doing? Hmm. You know, and, and I had to sit down and say, okay, I'm actually robbing from God his opportunity to help this person. Wow. You, you uh, said something, Pete, that's really interesting. Uh, and I, I have it circled here. Uh, and I, I th- there's a juxtaposition here trapped in poverty and chap- trapped in affluence. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's, that's, that's worth mining right there. There's so much value in there. Cause what you're describing in some ways are, you know, and even the rice Christians or whatever it's, you're trapped in your, your poverty and you're trying to resolve that. And, but on the flip side, you, you can also be trapped in your affluence mm-hmm. and, and which creates a different, idea of who you think God is if you're trapped in your affluence or and I think that's really hard for Western Christians you know from from in America to hear that you can actually be trapped in your affluence because isn't this all good stuff uh you know and 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 to say you can also be trapped in your poverty um yeah I I I think that's that's gold right there. Um, Mark, we have, we always have people and I always laugh at this. Like people, we post stuff on Facebook and people be like, Oh my gosh, I could never do what you're doing. Wow. Like, and they're always kind of amazed. Um, I think someone's trying to call us. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Just hang up. <laughs> um, so, um, and I'm always like, no, you could like everybody could, you know, like if you're depending on God, but I think again, that's, where some people are trapped because they couldn't mm. maybe leave and go to a, serve in a foreign country because they have a house and they have a car and they have yeah. all this stuff. Um, and that's, again, that's what I think Pete's talking about where you get trapped with all your stuff because, oh, you don't want to let go of it. You don't want to leave it. So you're limited, yeah. you become limited. Yeah. It, it, it's funny you say this. Uh, so again, I, I've referred to a couple of these since we're quarantined, um, you know, hashtag first world, uh, you know, Dawn and I've been doing a lot of Netflix watching and there's uh, there was a documentary we recently watched on minimalism and, and there's this whole movement 
uh, of sort of wealthy people kind of trying to live a minimalist lifestyle. And it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, you know, how little can you live with? But what was interesting about this was there was no mention of the gospel. You know, there's no mention of it's just you'll be happy with less stuff. You know, so it's almost trying to break the, 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 the trap of affluence without actually meeting the creator, right? There was none of that. It was just uh, get rid of your stuff and you'll be happier. Uh, I don't even know what show you're talking about because yeah. I heard about that well, show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the process that God took me through. Hmm. Um, when, when I heard about extreme response and I heard about, oh my goodness, they're reaching these people that live in this garbage dump. It hit my heart. And I was like, wow, finally people are, are working with them. And then God took me through this like process of understanding these people. Like, wow, um, what a horrible situation. I, I was thinking more, more at the physical end of things and not the spiritual end of things. It's like, oh, how could you live in the garbage? How horrible is that? How, eating your food out of there. This, But God used that to shock me to a point where, I had to sit down and really think about my life. And I remember driving in my truck one day, going from one job to another and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's like, what must it be like for a guy to live in the garbage dump, raise his family in the garbage dump and then go to hell. Hmm. And he's like, Pete, you have the answers. Christ Hmm. is who can get that guy out of the garbage dump. If you bring Christ to him, that changes everything for him. Hmm. And that got me to move. And it was a, crazy process of like guilt and shame of what I had and how much stuff I had. And I was like, man, I got to stop buying coffee in the morning and I could give that money towards the poor people. It's crazy, right? No one stops buying coffee. In the morning. You know, well, I was like, I did. You're just going to hurt the economy, Pete. It. It's counterproductive. Yeah. I went through this. I was like, man, I'm spending three, four bucks on a Wawa coffee and uh, I could go, I, I could go to my work and get it for free. So I'll give those three bucks. But what was happening was God was reprioritizing my life and he was showing me what was important and what wasn't. And where was I giving my time, my resources, the gifts that God had given me, what was I doing with them? And at first it was, I was real with guilt because I didn't have anything to really put before God and say, this is what I've done with what I gave to you. And I owe my life to those people because they're, their shocking situation woke me up and said, I need to do something about that. Mm-hmm. Now that I see the big picture of it, everybody needs Christ. <laughs> everybody needs Christ. Your neighbor, the, the billionaire down the road with everything he has, who's ready to commit suicide because he has, he has no hope and no, nothing fills that hole to the guy in the garbage dump that has nothing. And, but can receive everything if he has Christ. When we were talking last week, Dan, this isn't a good advertisement for LBC, but I said the Pete's memoir should be entitled, I found Jesus at the trash dump and not Bible college. Right. You know, um, I learned more spiritual, I started more spiritual lessons in Ecuador at the trash dump than I did in the library. So, um, but one of the, so I want to ask this question, guys. Um, we, we've talked a lot about the sort of the, the unregenerate, you know, the unsaved people. What happens when people start to have that experience with Jesus? How does their perception, their reality, their, their experience of the trash dump, of their life, how does that start to change? I've seen just, I'm just thinking of a couple people, um, ladies in particular, because I primarily work with the ladies that like when I first started with them in the Bible study or, um, and I, I did teach a nutrition class for a little while, just trying to teach them about like what to eat, what not to eat, helping them try to come up with budgets, like as far as what they, you know, what they can afford and that kind of thing. And there were so many people just really, they, they didn't want to open up. They didn't want to say anything. They didn't want to. And again, we go back to the whole thing that they're not worthy. So mm. that's what they struggle with is that like, my opinion doesn't matter. And really they've been told a million times their opinion doesn't matter. So you're not going to find a whole lot of very few, you're going to find very few outspoken women down here because they just don't say much of anything. But what I guess I feel where I have seen Jesus work in them that, that, you know, they might've been a certain way before they met Christ before they started growing is that there's this, there is this amazing trust. Um, like I am shocked right now in a way because, um, some of them like aren't calling me every day 
and asking me for food and, and all that. They all have my number. We're all on a WhatsApp. I'm running a Bible study now on a Zoom thing. And, um, you know, so it's like, I think before when they were just kind of, you know, either before they were saved or whatever, they, they would have been calling. They would have been like, give me, give me, give me. Mm. Um, you know, and we still see that in another ministry we work with, like Pete goes there um, a couple times a week and the people are getting angry and they're yelling and cursing and getting nasty with the people because they weren't on the list for the food bags. They did not receive a food bag. And so it's now the provider's fault. Um, whereas I see our ladies, like they're not asking for anything. They're like, you know, Jen, God bless you. Um, I see a lot of them on the verge of leadership that they're starting to maybe, or they could potentially step into a role to maybe lead one of the Bible studies. And we can maybe start, um, breaking down some of the Bible studies and spreading them out a little bit. Um, you know, so I think it's like when, you know, cause again, when, when I first was there, um, everyone was like, give me, give me, give me. And now that I've been with them for seven years and they see that that's not really my role. And, um, I, and, and again, in this pandemic where some of them are, I mean, Pete goes to visit their houses every week and he sees how they're living and they do need a lot and they could be asking for more, 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 more. Um, but they aren't They're They're going, okay, we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. So mm. that's where I've seen personally that, how that's, mm. I think the, what what's beautiful about people in these situations is that it's stripped down to the basic, mm. you know what I mean? So, um, when we see families, um, and people start getting it and start connecting with God and stuff, just like you said, there's a shift where they don't, they don't need the physical stuff anymore. Um, what they're really desiring is more relationship with God because they know that makes a difference. They've learned, they've seen that they've experienced it and it happens. It's like, I have a guy in my shop, Patin. Patin was kind of your, your classic garbage dump man. He, he worked just enough to get his next drink and um, get drunk. I'm going to work just enough to go get drunk, worry about, you know, forget about my problems for as long as I possibly can. So that meant two days of being stone drunk. I mean, passed out on the sidewalk drunk. It could be a week. And then he'd show up to his family, frustrated, defeated, beat up, um, beat them out of his frustration, abuse them, and then he'd go back to work. You know, and then so you get God into their lives and suddenly he's like, he started to see his eyes started opening up. He's like, yeah, this, this drinking is killing me. <laughs> it, it, it's this vicious battle of, you know, trying to find comfort in something that doesn't give it. And then the shame and the guilt that comes afterwards that Satan pours on you of you like, you're a loser. You're no good. Cause he doesn't want to do those things. He doesn't want to go beat up his wife. He doesn't want to do those things, but he's angry. He's frustrated. And that's his release. So you start taking those things out of there and suddenly their life gets dramatically better. Uh Um, You know, the abuse is gone. You know, he's starting, he's not abusing his wife. He's not drinking. He's not spending all their money on food. So now they have some food on the table. And I even found out that, you know, as I'm trying to find them work and, and different ways of trying to get them out of the garbage dump, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay here. This is my, I, I'm okay. Um, if God wants me to get out of this, I'll get out of it. But we're doing okay right now. And um, we want to keep pushing them. I do think God wants you to get out of these tough suffering situations. Um, but like I said, it's, it, they've proven to me that God is sufficient and that he carries these people through these situations. He's carried these people through and their situations often get worse when they become Christians. Now, now they get ostracized by their, their coworkers. Why aren't you fighting all the time? They used to have to fight for the garbage and beat literally physically beat people off of a piece of cardboard, a bottle. Um, I'm not fighting anymore. God told me I'm not supposed to fight. Uh, You're a wuss. You're, you know, you, I need to just take your stuff. And, you know, and their life gets harder and worse. And my heart's breaking. Like, Lord, what are you doing here? But I see them persevere through that. And it's been inspiring to me that these people, they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm done with the fighting. I'm done. I I see the chains now. I see what's holding us back. I'm not going to go there. And then their lives improve. And that's proof that God comes in and he, he can change your situation without 
removing some of the things that we think need to be removed. So let, let's, let's, I think we've got a pretty good picture of just what Jen and Pete are doing in their uh, experience down there. Let, if we can, if we could shift gears to the pandemic uh, mm -hmm. and how that is influenced or impacting uh, the people you're serving, um, how it's impacting Ecuador overall, uh, and also how people in these situations are responding to it. We're 100% quarantined. Um, pretty much there's a curfew from 2 p.m. to 5 o'clock in the morning. So everyone has to be in their houses at, at, at 2 p.m. So does um, that mean that people at the trash dump have to be in their... The trash dump closed down. So the trash dump isn't even, like, they're out of work right now because the trash dump, everything, there's no businesses open. I mean, everything is shut down down here. Wow. Um, only way you can get, like, like, all the restaurants are only open for takeout. <laughs> So you can't go to eat anywhere. Like we on, only our, our supermarkets are open. Like all the hardware stores, all those other places are closed. So the only supermarkets thing, and pharmacies are basically are the only, the only thing. The only open. businesses that are allowed to be open other than if you want to do takeout food. How um, are the dump people eating? That's why we're giving them food. <laughs> we, <laughs> within, literally within two weeks of the quarantine starting, our people were in crisis. They had nothing. Um, because they can't recycle, they aren't allowed, they can't go to the garbage dump, that got closed down, and they can't recycle off the street either because there's quarantine. And in this culture too, it's not, much of this culture um, does not, does not um, store up food. I don't know how to say that, but like, um, Mark, I think I mentioned this to you this before, like they, we, there's no Costco's down here where you go and you buy, you know, lump, lump sums of things and you keep in your house and you can live, you know, for a month probably off of what you buy. So even like the middle class and wealthier class um, of people, they don't even stock up on food. You know, it's very much like a culture that you either buy your food on the street or you buy, you go to restaurants. Um, but a lot of people don't bake and they don't make a lot of food in their homes. So to start this crisis, they didn't have a lot of food in their house to begin with because it's just not a part of the culture. And they do live day to day because they do wait well, they for money to come in. They also don't save. Right, right. They don't save up money. So like, you know, they live week to week or paycheck to paycheck. So um, things got critical pretty quickly. So um, um, we've gotten some practice. We, we did some disaster relief with earthquakes and different things. So we've gotten some practice in the shifting gears quickly and ours was like, what's the need? People need food right now. Mm. So we started working with food distribution. Hmm. I want to, I, I don't, I, I want to connect to that a little bit thinking audience and, and some of the things you've been talking about and the way you've been talking and that what I think is happening with a lot of people here, especially people who've grown up in, in comfort is, you know, you're, you're getting at it very directly that for a lot of people, they've never made this disjunction between God's physical goodness and his spiritual goodness, right? That, and, and I think I'm seeing it and I'm feeling it in our church and, and our care groups that, that they're trying to now wrestle with this. But if, if God is allowing this to happen, you know, what's, what's wrong with the situation? And, and, you know, what it seems you, you two have gone through so much and with the people you dealt with is seeing these in a sense, and maybe I'm wrong about this. So if I'm using the wrong word, I apologize. There's an opportunity to, you said, recal recalibrate what it is God is doing for us. What, what, what is God calling us to? How, how, do, how do we, from your experience, and we're in the first world, you know all about who we are, you've been here. How do we take advantage of this moment to recalibrate in, in the ways that, that you've had to? I think when I work with these people, studying suffering has been a big part of my life. God, why do you allow this suffering to happen some to very good people, to godly people, more godly even than I am. Why do you allow this suffering to happen? And what I've learned is that God uses suffering to draw us closer to him. We have two choices. We can either kind of move away and say, no, God isn't good. Um, and um, alienate yourself from God, move away from God, re get resentment, um, bitterness, those kind of things. Or we can go to God and say, wow, I'm sorry, you know, I repent and I want to come to you for your, for my help. And um, that's what we really want to try to do is like, let's run to the situation. This is an opportunity where um, people are in need and we're to run to this and to, to answer, answer it. Cause I think the critical part right now is what their opinion of God is. 
Hmm. You know, even our, even our people that are Christians, is their opinion going to be like, well, this God thing's not working for me. <laughs> the big question, getting worse. I think the big question is, is God enough? You know, when right. there's, when there's nothing else, is God enough? When you have everything stripped away, you know, cause right now, I mean, we definitely have our freedom. Our freedom has been stripped to a certain point, you know, because we don't have, we can't go out. We can't, you know, do stuff. Um, you know, but, um, and I think in the States it's like, okay, you know, I can't go to, when the parks were closed. Okay. Oh, I can't go to the parks or, you know, I can't do this or, you know, when everyone saw their money dropping, um, from the market, you know, when the market started going down, I have no idea where the market is right now. So it could be, good. <laughs> I have no idea. It's good <laughs> because yeah, cause I don't follow it at all. But like, you know, it's just like when those things happen, but is God still enough? And that's what we're also trying to kind of, um, talk to our people about is like, I actually, in my Bible study last night, we, talked about the manna with the Israelites. And it's like, God only provided in the mornings, a certain amount of food. They couldn't store it. They just had to eat it and move on and trust mm-hmm. that he was going to give it the next day. And it's like, that is really hard. I mean, I, I can put myself under that umbrella too, that that's a really hard thing to mm-hmm. just wake up yeah. and trust that he's going to give me what I need today. And I don't have to worry about it until the next day. And let's see what happens tomorrow morning. But um, that's not what, what, how the world is you know, or how, how the world has been as far as that. It's like, I can trust God as long as I know Costco's still open. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. 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 I'll I'll trust God as long as I have food to give out, you know, or I have the resources to help these people with what I think is going to help them. What's really tested my faith is when the food bag runs out, when, when the, the physical resources I have are gone. And then I was like, okay, now I got to sit down and, is is my prayer to God to help this person to come through in a way that I have no idea how he's going to do this. Hmm. We come up with situations all the time that are seemingly impossible. Hmm. You know, a family comes out to me is I got cancer. Um, now what? We don't have thousands of dollars to reach into a person, you know, and help them fight their, their cancer or, you know, um, all kinds of illness. Illness is probably the easiest one you can pinpoint where it's like, man, we, we just don't, that's where our resources stop. And then that, that process of me saying, okay, but I have a God that can solve this problem. Huh. And I can pray with you. And actually that's the best thing we can do with you. I told the people this morning, what, there's 30 people in line when I was handing out food. Um, you know, it's really easy to come and get a bag of food and walk away. It requires very little of us, maybe a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, some money, maybe to get a taxi or whatever to get there. We leave and we have our food. I don't know if that's necessarily always what God wants. Hmm. And he said, when you walk away with no food, but you have your faith, Hmm. if you have faith, then God can do amazing things. Hmm. And God has been working through my doubt and my light saying, well, God, are you going to come through for these people? If I pray with them and say, I can't give you a bag, but go with faith. Are you going to show up hmm. and come through and, and be real to these people? And it really comes, it boils down to that. And I think that's, that's the best thing we can offer them. Hmm. If I they think- can walk away and God provides in his own unique, beautiful way, that's going to be so much more real to them than me preaching to them, than me, anything I can physically do for them. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Something you guys said uh, is, uh, Jen, I think you mentioned it. There, there's, there, there's a time where when the food runs out, the people start getting upset they, to the people who they think should be providing it. I wonder too, I mean, and part of this podcast that Dan and I are doing is we're not claiming to have all the answers we're processing along with everybody else. Uh, is is that sort of a human response to, you know, the people who, the person or entity that you think should be providing the goods, whether it's God, whether it's the missionary, whether it's the federal government, and they don't seem to be producing the goods they're doing, all of a sudden you attack that. I mean, uh, if, if you want a good example of that, look at Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we're not we're not attacking the missionaries. We're attacking the federal government. Somebody. We're attacking, you know. Or somebody need, they need to blame. I just think that's in so much of our human instinct is like somebody needs to pay. Somebody right. is responsible for this. So somebody I need to get back what I lost 
and somebody needs to pay or be responsible for this. Yeah, and that's yeah. just not realistic. I just feel like, you know, like, not that it's not realistic. I understand how those people feel as far as yeah. like, because even like, I, I just see it in my kids and my own kids, like they want someone to blame, you know, when something goes wrong, who's the first person I can point a finger at. So it's not, um, so I can, I can put, push my anger onto something or I can push my negative feelings onto something. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what they're doing. Um, is that like, you know, cause the, the people who are giving the food are, you know, obviously wonderful people and they're giving free food, but it's like, no, but you didn't consider me and you didn't let me, you know, you didn't put me on the list when I wanted to be put on the list. And so it's mm. really kind of a, I feel like it's a very immature thing. I feel like, you know, more people who don't have a, a strong sense of self and everything like kind of go that route, you know, like, like I said, my children still kind of do that. Um, but, <laughs> well, um, then your kids are very rare. <laughs> <laughs> my kids. It's so strange. I don't, yeah. strange. I don't know why that's happening. Don't anybody. <laughs> well, what, what, one of the, one of the, the things I wanted to ask you about too, um, Dan, you made a great point. You said that maybe this is part of the problem we're having in the West uh, in, in the developed world is that, uh, our praise songs and our music even creates a doctrine of God where he's the God who, you know, somehow wants to live up to the declaration of independence and provide <laughs> me with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, that's probably a praise song somewhere. And so, um, but in, 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 uh, in other segments of, of the developed world, and I know this is really big in the, in, in the majority world, you get the prosperity gospel. Uh, are you guys seeing any of that kind of thing where, you know, my doctrine of God is I'm supposed to be okay and prosperous if, if God and I are good. I can't say that I've seen any of it with my, with my ladies, with my ladies Bible study. And I completely preach against it. Like I am so into like life is not easy for Christians or for non-Christians. Right. You can expect suffering. You can expect bad things to happen. And it says over and over again, you know, that in the, in the Bible, that troubles are going to come, that we're going to have problems because we are not, this is not what we were meant for. You know, like we, our hope needs to be in heaven and the time we're on earth is not meant for completely our enjoyment. Yes. God is good to us. He gives us things to enjoy, you know, nature, sunsets, you know, vacations, things like that. But that is really not what we're, what we're supposed to expect out of life. Um, it, it would be far, far more, um, wiser um to expect more problems than to expect less problems right. um, mm. can so i can i can i explore that just for a second jinx i think that's i mean that's yeah i mean it's first peter and, and every but the idea that you know this is what i've been finding in my own heart is that when we settle on these things we're just dissatisfied constantly and 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 when and when it's a gift that's meant to point us somewhere else there's joy and i think you said uh, you said pete at one point it's about finding joy as well in what we have how how do you, how do you, I mean, I think you're right theologically, but, but let's get down to brass tacks. How, how do you living in these situations, knowing that suffering is going to be the, the human norm? How do you craft an imagination, a heart joy to see these as, as just gifts, uh, temporary as they are? How, how do we do that? I know we, I talk like, again, so much about heaven and about what's to come. And I don't know if you guys are fan, um, fans of Francis Chan, um, but he does this great little, and it's a YouTube video, actually, it, it just has a rope and he just talks about how, like, he uses this much of the rope, let's say, um, for this is your life. This is how much of your life is going to be on earth. And then this, the rest of the rope, which you have to imagine that it goes on for an ever and ever goes on for eternity. So it's really more getting them to just like, again, look for some of the subtle joys. I mean, some of them will write to me and be like, oh my gosh, guess what? My, you know, my daughter got an A in English or whatever. And it's like that kind of stuff they just love. They are so proud of their kids. And when those kind of things happen, um, or, you know, somebody gives them something. Um, but again, I just try to not get them to really, um, not that I don't want them to focus on their suffering, but just to keep your eyes forward, keep looking ahead, keep, you know, going, keep going straight forward. <laughs> is, is, is that kind of the question that you were asking? Is that? Yeah, I, I think it is. Because I, I, I think what, you know, if, if I'm seeing from, from our perspective, what's happened is that we, and I think, you know, Mark, you're right. We've, we've turned God, our, our theology is poor in one sense. And, and, we, and we've said, well, if God loves me, I'll have these things, but those things don't make us happy. They're really, they're really bland. They don't give us joy. They're wonderful things, but the more we pursue them, the more anxious we become that we're going to lose them, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm watching my kids get older and realize I've lost this little time when my girls were so cute and small and now I want it back rather than seeing that as a gift. And, and I think you, your, your point is really sharp that 
maybe we just don't have enough of an imagination for what heaven is that, that that's not capturing our imagination. Is that? I think it comes to, I mean, it's, it's great to think about heaven and what, what lies ahead of us, but God also gives us, gives us it now. You know, he, he gives us things it's like that, that peace in that, in the, in the tranquility in, in a, in a horrible situation. You know, I've talked to a lot of these people and be like, well, how, how are you doing with your cancer? I'm doing okay. I have a lot of physical pain. I have all this, but I have peace and I have, and I have um, hope and I have those things. So yeah, dreaming of heaven, I think is essential because it, it puts our eyes towards what is to come and it motivates us and it gives us that hope and all those things. But what's blown me away is that they find contentment in times when there shouldn't be any. Hmm. It doesn't make sense to have any. Hmm. And that's where I think God's word really comes true, you know, and, and, and helping when I say God has reprioritized my life, that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, okay, I wasn't able to help that person physically, but I'm okay with that. I know God's going to come through and somehow he's going to pull that person through that situation. It gives me peace and it gives me hope. And then when I see it happening in front of my eyes, it gives other people hope. Mm. And um, those are the things I think that we've forgotten a lot in our society. And we want the, we want the quick fix. We want the comfort. We want, we want those things. It's like, what I've been trying to teach my people is like, man, God's after something much more valuable than you being comfortable Hmm. and then you being safe or you being, he's after your soul. And in order to get your soul, you're going to have to go through some really hard things Hmm. to, to understand it at its purity, at its full level. They they are so happy when we give them these food bags. And let me tell you, these food bags, like if we were to give these food bags out to people in the States, they would probably be like, what? I'd probably get spit on. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, they're full of oatmeal, maybe some rice, you know, um, oils, maybe some salt, maybe a little bit of sugar. Um, what else would you say? Like, um, yeah. very basic, like those kind of things, you know what I mean? And they are overjoyed. They are like, thank you so much. You know, th- this is going to get us through another week. Um, and here I am, you know, and they have some really nice supermarkets here. And here I am at Supermaxi and I'm thinking like, it's really made me think because I'm still buying like Lucky Charms down here is, <laughs> is $6 a box. Whoa. Um, yeah. and, and guess what my kid's favorite cereal is? <laughs> Lucky Charms. <laughs> and guess who I feel sorry for because they've been, t- they've been tied up and they've been inside for eight weeks. They've never left the house, you know? So me, I'm like, I'm going to buy them a box of Lucky Charms um, because that's what they really like. And they've been in the house, but you know, and so when I, but as I do that, I'm like, Oh my gosh. And our people are getting oatmeal and they mix it with water and that's what they feed their kids for breakfast. Mm. You know, so I'm not condemning myself for, for, for buying the lucky charms. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's like a balance you need to find. Um, but yeah, whenever I, now when I go to the food store, it's since this pandemic has happened, it's a new thing for me. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, I used to buy so much other stuff and mm. that stuff that we just don't really need. Um, yeah, and Lucky Charms for six bucks a box. <laughs> it's something you something you said, Pete. I think that's really important for this. How do we learn how to negotiate? You, you talked about experience, uh, and it goes back to my my snarky uh, title for your memoir. Um, but there's a sense of I maybe you do have to experience those situations. Um, to, you know, you can go to Bible college and you can learn the information. You can pass your finals. You can take your exams. Uh, and you do, you have a knowledge, but what was it? The, the Puritan John Owen used to say that it, it's the, it's the experiences of life where, where the Holy Spirit takes the truths you've learned from your mind and forces them down into your heart and into your soul. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's maybe you're, you're putting your finger on something because you said experience and you said, we want quick fixes and short circuit. And maybe there is, there really isn't a short circuit quick fix for that level of sanctification. <laughs> um, there isn't. We, we have a cheesy saying um, in extreme response that says money changes situations, relationship changes lives. Huh. And we've learned it over and over again over the years is um, you're exactly right. There is no quick fix for it. Um, to build God works through relationship in our life. It's our relationship with our father that, keeps deepening and growing hopefully it works the exact same thing with our people we had to earn their trust we had to 
sit down next to them. We had to go through their suffering together. We had to get dirty with them. We had to hug them when nobody else would hug them. They're, these people just reek of garbage and you have to hug them, you know, and we just don't never know what God's going to use to break through those barriers. I, I've had people come up to me and say, you guys, nobody hugs us. Mm. You know, um, why do you hug us? And mm. it was a huge opportunity to say, because God loves you. Mm. And I want to show that to you. But um, those are the kind of things you can't experience in a classroom. You can't mm. intellectually, you can't get um, that, that that's what God wants. He's like, yeah, just don't give the money to the beggar on the corner. Sit down and talk to him. Listen to his story. Hear what he has to say. What, what are his struggles? And then you come in and it's like, wow, yeah, I can't understand that. But I want to come alongside you and, and help you some way. And then those are the acts. It's like, that's what Jesus did. You know, I love the story of like the, the blind man in the mud, you know, or the leper. He hadn't been touched in years. And what is the first thing he does? He goes up and touches him. It's like those little extraordinary things that God lays on your heart to do are those transcendent things where you see miracles that God works through the tiniest little things um, and, um, and teaches you these huge um, treasure chests of, of faith and of love and graciousness and grace and forgiveness that, that have no value to them. Dan, we've been interrogating these people for about 50 minutes. Um, (laughs) I know, I know. This is good. I could could interrogate longer. Uh, But uh, what I wanted to do is ask you if you had any more questions. And then I wanted to open it up to anybody uh, who logged in, if they had any questions for Jen and Pete. I wanted to make that opportunity available. So we have a couple people logged in with us. I probably, I I do. I'm trying to unpack uh, a lot of things you've been talking about, and I think we're, you know, you're, you're saying things that are, are so clear, I think, about how we don't understand suffering. We had Mark Farnham, who is a professor here on, um, who, um, you know, normal, normal first world life, and then everything went sideways on him, brain tumor, cancer, and, and he, he wrote about it, and he said, finally, God is done with suffering what other things couldn't, in a sense, like he's used suffering to teach me, and I, that's just stuck with me, and I think you're saying it as well, and it's just, um, it's bringing a lot of order and structure to my own understanding of these things. So I'm just, I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of your experiences, mm-hmm. the work you've done and what God's taught you that you can teach, teach, teach me. So thank you for that. Otherwise, no, we can open up Mark. Is there anybody uh, who's with us that wants to either ask a question or you can ask it, or you can put it in the text box and chat it, whatever. We'll give that opportunity. No, I think that was on the other end. Okay. Okay. Maybe maybe while we're while we're waiting, I don't see anybody jumping to here. Um, no. If you if and I now that here's my here's my uh, far, American farmers common sense coming in, which give you a danger. Give us. I, I've been talking to other people about this. They're saying you know the, the first thing you need to do is pray. You just need to spend more time in prayer. Is that is that because I mean not not granted. I think there's probably things around me where I could be doing things in my local community that I haven't been doing. And I, from what you're saying, that seems like a very important part of this. Um, on, on top of that, in addition to that prayer, what, what else, what else would you advise us as we, as we grapple through these things? As far as like the pandemic or well, just in general, I mean, yeah, I, I think the way you're talking, what being said here is that we, we really aren't going to come to know these things until as Mark, you said, until God drives these things down into our soul. We don't want to sit and twiddle our thumbs and play Xbox, you know, figuring it's going to happen someday. So how, how do we prepare? How do we, I think one thing that I've learned even so much recently in the past year is, is, is praying is really good and important, but to sit still with God, to sit in total silence, to totally settle yourself before him and let him speak to you. Cause I feel like so much I went on praying, it's like, Oh, and God, this and God, this and da da da, you know, and it's almost like a bus- there's a busyness that kind of takes it. And we're, of course we're praying and we're praying that he does a great work and we're praying that he provides and we're praying this, but, um, Part of me with the whole relationship with God is like, it's also about just sitting still and just thinking about him and maybe not even talking so much, just being silent, um, just being still. That's where I feel like, um, that's where I feel like God is leading me personally, you know, as far as like the whole world is just imploding <laughs> with just busyness and with doing stuff. And with this quarantine and being in my house so much, um, I've just been super intentional about setting aside um, a time 
and just like, just sitting. And it's, you know what? It's really hard. Like yeah. it is unbelievable. If I sit there for like 30 seconds, I can, I can get about 30 seconds in where I'm still <laughs> and quiet. And then as soon as like that, the 30 seconds is up, it's like, oh yeah, I got to do that today. Oh yeah. And that's, oh yeah. And before you know it, my mind is like, woohoo, like it's going on all the things I have to do or this person or that, you know, and it's really, really hard. And so that's where I've tried to take this time that God's given us to like where there's nothing, nothing I'm saying there's nothing to do, but where I can have more just quietness or whatever to really try to control my brain and yeah. how much, where it's going with things and how hyper it is, you know, where it goes all over the place. Cause that's where I feel like the culture goes is just like, do, 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 and ask, 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 and just don't stop. But we have a hard time stopping um, as a, as a people. That's very helpful. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, something uh, we talked about when offline a little bit, even with the pandemic and we'll kind of leave this at the we'll close it with this. Cause I don't see any questions coming in. Uh, you guys had mentioned that the pandemic is as bad as it is. Uh, what it really does is it just, it just exacerbates what's already there. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a new thing. It's not, it doesn't bring a new, it just brings to light what's already been there. Um, can you just expound on that a little bit? Cause that was really good statement. Yeah. With, Things that are always there strike up. I think one thing that does, um, the pandemic does bring up is it does bring up fear. You know, um, a lot of people are scared. And when they're scared, they're a little more open to hear <laughs> um, about God and different things. Now, whether it's going to be something that lasts is yet to be seen. Because I think, well, I'm scared. It's like there's no atheist in a foxhole. Well, I'm scared. Right. I'm going to pray. But then the minute he's out of that situation, well, God, I'm done. Okay, I'm out of this situation. I'm done. Let's go. Um, what we're really praying for is those opportunities to 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 make it last, to break the barrier of fear. And, uh, and but the that, poor are still going to be poor after this too. Yeah. Like our people aren't are, are going <laughs> to yeah. go back to you know our people still lived pretty much day to day. And like you said, Mark, like what this has has forced to happen is that like it, now it's even worse. You know, so it just makes it a bigger problem. And again, I mean, and we work with about, I don't know, maybe there's a hundred people in our garbage dump, maybe a little bit more than that, but they're not the only poor people in Ecuador. They're not the only, you know, when you look at the, the world poverty level, like the people in Africa, the people in China, like yeah. he's just hating the poor, like you wouldn't believe mm -hmm. um, this pandemic. And so it is, it's, it's bringing out all the, like with this, it's, it's making everything shine, all the problems really, really. So in a way, we need to keep our eyes open and be like, wow, like all these problems yeah. are kind of leaking out. When you think about it, when we're all trapped in a house together for, you know, eight weeks, uh, our problem's going to come out between us. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This kind so of taking some of the shells good. off of even, you know, stable, solid families yeah. Are, yeah. are getting rocky because that, you know, that, you know, I fight with my wife. You know, our relationship is not strong and solid in Christ. He's using an example. Yeah. <laughs> I'm using it as an example. Is like, you know. Some those... people fight with their wife. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend. Yeah, we'll call him me. <laughs> the guy that used to escape from his family life at work because he didn't like right. what was going on at home. Yeah. You know, all those kind of things are kind of exasperate. So I think what God's doing in that is he's kind of exposing a lot of problems. Amen. Like, yeah, you guys need to come to me you know, for these answers, you, you, and here's I, something that was hidden maybe because we had comfort and because we had all this other stuff. Yeah. But, uh -uh, when that gets pulled away, look at what, you know, look what you yeah. have. You said uh, a very powerful statement there, Jen, you said our people are still going to be poor after the pandemic. Yep. Um, but what, what is interesting, I think, uh, and Dan, this goes back to what we've been talking about a long time is that in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Western industrial world, we think, well, okay, we've, we've, Oh, wow, we have a problem. Now, how do we muster our resources so that we can start the utopia after the coronavirus? <laughs> um, where there's almost an acceptance in certain cultures that you're not going to, you're not going to defeat this. You're going to defeat poverty. Uh, right. You know, that, that's a very American thing to say, we're going to have a war on poverty, right? Well, or, yeah, or Mark, maybe I could take a little further. And I think you're right. Yeah. That's a great observation because what's underlying that is this isn't normal. Yes. The normal is when everything works out and we'll, right, we'll muster resources to stop it for the timing and then things will go back to normal. And, you know, if, if we're, I think what, what you guys are saying is that we ought not see it that way. We ought to see this as the normal in the sense, because this is, this is revealing the human soul. This is reviewing, revealing where our hope is really placed. And so, and I, I was talking with a friend of mine, he survived coronavirus, had a really tough bout with it. 
And he said, I don't want to go back to where I was when, you know, when I didn't care because I was just busy with my life. I want to, I want to live in this moment where I realize all I have is Christ, but that's very hard to hold on to when things go back to, you know, normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm good from there. I think they've, they've given us more than our, our oh, share. They've given yeah. us an hour. I could stay on another hour with them. Um, <laughs> I'm so thankful for you guys. We love you guys. Um, Thank you. Love you guys thanks too. for sharing with us. Um, and um, yeah, thank you for those of us who, those who sh uh, came in, uh, observe with us, even though you don't have any questions. And of course, we'll post this for the community. Jen and Pete, it was it was a real privilege getting to know you. I, I'll be praying for you, and and um, hopefully get to talk to you again. But thank you very much. Dan, I'd like to bring them into for the missions conference at some point. Absolutely, you know, I think that's yeah. a must. Yeah, yeah. So this all right, is one of our passion too. Yeah. So um, yeah. getting people to to um, you know, just just yeah. be on fire for God and go out with the Great Commission and share the gospel with people is a big passion of ours. Mm. Um, well, that's, that's something we can talk about. We'd, we'd love to have that. I think that connection. Sweet. Okay. Awesome. Well, Great. you guys take Thank care. You. Too. Thank, Thank you very you. much. All right. Bye. God bless. Take care.